What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. We just got back from the low-carb cruise, and I captured the audio and video files for two speakers, Lauren Berryhill and Danny Vega. I put those into YouTube format, and I'm also going to put them in here as a podcast file. So, if you're interested in listening, by all means, sit down, relax, enjoy yourself. Lauren Berryhill is going to take us through body dysmorphia and all that is involved therein. Without further ado, here we go. Thank you. Um, So I saw several of you raise your hands um, that you do suffer from it as well. Uh, And we're going to go over what exactly body dysmorphia disorder is. And so it's it's characterized as um, a mental disorder, if you didn't know. And... (laughs) For me, admitting that I had a mental disorder, when I came to terms with the fact that I had a mental disorder, putting a label on what I deal with, it really opened my eyes. Um, You don't ever want to label yourself as something. And honestly, I think it helped me to find out that it had a name. Or more often, I find that a lot of people don't realize that body dysmorphia is a thing. They just think that they're self-conscious or that they suffer from, you know, this horrible image of themselves and that they're alone. But um, what's crazy is you'll see the statistics um, of how many people actually do suffer with it in the ages. So um, body dysmorphic disorder is the technical term. You'll see it as BDD as well. It's a body image mental disorder characterized by persistent intrusive thoughts with an imagined or perceived defect of your body. So what I mean imagined or perceived, you see it, but most likely no one else sees it. So and I'll get more into my story and like the things that I deal with, but for an example, like you think you have big ears or you think you have a big nose or you think you have large arms. There's tons of different things that we nitpick about our bodies that, um, you know, is a flaw and a huge flaw to us that it, it sometimes intrudes into our daily lives, our daily functions that other people don't even notice. So, um, well, with body dysmorphia, like I said, you can suffer from like not liking your hair, not liking your skin, not liking something about your body, but it's to the extreme. It's something that it inhibits or it um, blunts your ability to sometimes function on a daily basis. So who suffers from it? Body dysmorphia, surprisingly, you would think is just a female-based disorder. Sadly, and surprisingly, more males and actually more males suffer from it than females, but it's not discussed. So 2.5% of males and 2.2% of females. Um, And the saddening part is that most people start to experience this at the age of adolescence. So anywhere from like elementary or well, middle school um, and high school. you will probably see most people, most teenagers suffering from it, obviously, because of the social pressures. But for me, I was 11 years old. Um, And what's crazy is I obviously had no idea at that time in my life that that's what I suffered from. Um, But there is an instance in my life, a photo that I actually remember, like 
speaking the first negative thing ever about myself. And I'm going to share it with you as well. Most often the people who suffer from this that are between the t ages of 12 and 13, um, it's because of the social pressures that we feel. So being a cheerleader or being in sports or wanting to look a certain way, I feel like, honestly, I feel like this is off. It's from 2013, but I feel like it's getting worse and worse because of the culture that we're seeing on a daily basis, mm -hmm. the social media that we're seeing, the perfect bodies that we're constantly seeing. So I think that's a little off right now, but um, I was 11 years old. So what's the cause? Um, there are, a lot of people think that it's just something that we develop, um, but sometimes it can actually be like a, a bodily function that's wrong. Sometimes you don't produce enough serotonin in the brain to get that, um, that response. So it could be like a actual disorder, um, a neurological uh, disorder, or it could be like an imbalance. Um, for me, I feel like I was genetically predispo predisposed. Um, and I say that because my mom and my grandmother experienced it. Um, my mom is one of the strongest people I know, but she is the worst critic of herself. And uh, her mom was the worst critic of herself. So she would always, I would hear her say things about herself. And hearing her say things in turn made me be like, well, what's wrong with me? Like, my mom, I look at her, she's perfect. But what's, like, if she thinks this of herself, then what do I think of myself? So I think I was pr genetically predisposed to um, the, the pressure of it, things like that, but also that instance where there was a photo that I see that um, reminds me of the moment that I experienced it for the first time. So you'll see, uh, I've got a lot of photos of myself on here. I'm not shy when it comes to sharing my journey. Um, it's never easy to show you a before picture of me, um, but I'm someone who took a lot of photos because I could not physically see the changes that were being made during my weight loss journey. Sixth grade Lauren, full bangs in the face, everything. But um, for someone who suffers with being uncomfortable with themselves, do you ever notice you're covering your, you're putting your arms back or you're covering your stomach or you're trying to hide a part of your body that you're not comfortable with? Notice the pom-poms, okay? You see the pom-pom placement. The biggest thing I am uncomfortable with on my body to this day is my stomach. Um, I've lost over 100 pounds, so I have loose skin. I have stretch marks. I've had a, a baby. He's three and a half years old now. So, um, you know, I struggled with that early on, but still do. And so the placement started then. The reason that I show this photo is because there was someone in my life who made the comment that, I only made the manager position as a cheerleader and I didn't make the actual team because I needed to lose weight. So, um, and that is the moment I realized that like, okay, there's something wrong with me. I've got to change it. At that moment in time, I remember feeling like I always needed to be on a diet. Um, from that age, from sixth grade, always feeling like I needed to change my body. That is the moment that sticks out to me. Um, so seeing myself now, back then, 
I'm like, God, I was, I was a healthy, healthy teenager. I was, I was totally fine, like, you know? Um, but it's crazy what the mind goes through. So these are pictures of my husband and I. So we actually met in high school, um, and we are married now. And uh, these, are, these are a couple photos of us. But, um, you know, when I first saw these photos of myself, I was like, oh, my gosh, look at my arms. Look how big they look. Now, looking back at those photos, I'm like, Lauren, what was wrong with you? Look how, look how healthy you look. I mean, honestly, in the top left photo, I think I could have probably gained a little bit of weight. I, I, was, I know at that point in my life, I was, um, I was struggling with my eating disorder, binge eating and restricting. So um, I was very thin, and I never saw myself that way, ever. Um, the things that I would say about myself, were calling myself fat, disgusting, ugly. My arms were huge, my arms were fat. Um, very unkind to myself. And I don't, I mean, how many people, how many people talk bad about themselves? Don't make me feel alone. Like, you do it too? Yeah, so, you know, looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. For me, I struggled with seeing myself as huge and big and overweight and I called myself all these things and you see I was not. The bad thing that I ended up experiencing was the fact that I gained over 100 pounds and I finally became the person that I saw myself as. So it's kind of the other side of body dysmorphia. It's I became what I always saw that I was and now I had to lose the weight. Like now I am what I've always seen and that was really hard to accept. Um, so, um, like I said, I was never always overweight. Um, when I, my husband and I, we got very comfortable. Uh, you guys probably know, like, when you get married, you, for whatever reason, you get comfortable, you uh, gain weight, you, um, you know, you're with the person that you love, and you just don't feel like you have to really try, which is sad. Um, so I gained weight. Um, my binge eating disorder got a lot more intensified, uh, and it just progressed from there. This is me at my heaviest weight post-birth. Uh, I was 232 pounds. Um, and like I said, you know, people ask me all the time, how did you take photos of yourself if you felt so bad about yourself? Or, or how did you take photos of um, how you, you know, looked that way? And how are you posting them on the internet? Like, that's still kind of shocking to me sometimes. Um, but it's always my goal to help people in any way that I can. So uh, this was my heaviest weight. Um, along with my eating disorder, uh, when I had my son, I ended up quitting my job. I'm a very career-driven person. Um, I was a dental assistant for four years prior to becoming a keto coach and, and all of that. Um, I stayed home with my son, pretty much lost myself. I suffered with postpartum depression, um, which I still managed to um, I still managed to lose weight, so about 60 pounds with uh, out keto, but it was with binging, restricting, over-exercising, very unhealthy, like 800, 900 calories. It was, it was terrible. Um, but like I said, I would take the photos because in my head, I could never see the 20 or 40 pounds loss that was reflected on the scale. Um, and and a photo, photos ended up becoming very um, obsessive for me, so that's one thing I'll touch on a little later. Um, but it was the only way that I feel like I could physically see my progress. Um, obviously, we take measurements as well, but 
photos were what kept me going. Um, this is postpartum, so I did everything, Weight Watchers, Herbalife, um, and then restrictive eating, lost 60 pounds. Um, I, would, I worked out at home for the longest time because I was terrified of judgment in the gym. Um, I was always like, someone's going to say I'm too fat to be in a gym, I'm too, you know, chunky, like look at her run on the treadmill, everything's bouncing, like all of these negative things that I'd say to myself. So I started working out at home, um, and then this was actually the day I started keto. So um, at this point, I was ready for a lifestyle change. I was ready for a mental change as well. Um, and I was down 60 pounds at this point. Over the course of the time that I was keto, um, I developed a passion for lifting weights, changing my body, um, feeling good. Uh, endorphins are amazing for people who exercise and it just it's another high. Um, I broke my addiction to foods um, that were like processed carbs for me. Cutting out all of those things was just the way that I healed. Um, I changed my lifestyle. I became a whole new person, but the one thing that I still suffer from on the daily is uh, body dysmorphia. So this is just kind of a, um, this is for those people who say you can't gain muscle on keto. <laughs> Completely changed my body composition. <laughs> Completely. Um, but I still struggle with body dysmorphia. So after losing 100 pounds, you'd think it'd go away, right? Like you'd think that I've achieved this transformation. I should be pretty freaking confident. Um, but sadly, I still struggle with it every day. Um, I will say things to myself that are not nice still. Not as often as I used to. Um, I'm very aware I will uh, call myself out, like if I'm doing it, or I'll speak to someone and be like, did you just hear what I said to myself? Slap me. Like, <laughs> you know? Um, but the most important thing is, is becoming aware of what you're saying to yourself and how you're talking to yourself. Um, but I think a common misconception is that if you have that transformation, if I lose the weight, if I just get to this goal, no, goal number, goal weight on the scale, that I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to feel totally different. And I'm standing in front of you today after losing 100 pounds, and I'm telling you that I still struggle with it every day. Um, and that's not easy to admit. So um, I got down to 129 pounds. Uh, I don't maintain that. I'm about 10 to 15 pounds heavier than that. Um, not only because I gain muscle, I lift weight. If you were here for the bodybuilding panel, you would have saw that um, that's a passion of mine. But life, like we also talked about stress. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a mom, I'm a wife. Like I've gained weight because of that, um, gained weight because of muscle. So um, the other part is losing the weight and then seeing the scale kind of go up. Like not only because of stress, but because I need to gain muscle. When the weight, the goal is always weight loss, and then you see the scale go up, how does that affect your body dysmorphia? How does that affect your mental? You're like, I'm getting fat again. Like, uh, what, am I, what am I doing? So, um, that's, that's really hard for me. Uh, if I ever, which people always ask if I cheated or on keto or if I cheat. Uh, now, I don't feel like I need to cheat on my lifestyle. Um, but when I would, I would instantly see that in the mirror. Like I'd be like, I just gained five pounds and I can see it, I'm huge now. That's the mental aspect of it, is, is you see yourself 
as like your failures. So how do you treat it? Uh, I still suffer with it every day, fight it daily. There is such a thing that therapists um, can work with you on. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I kind of do it myself. I just, I recognize it myself. Um, I don't want to pay a therapist to tell me my problems because I know what they are. And I'm really, you know, like important, I think it's important to work through things yourself. If you need help, then, then definitely, you know, reach out. But um, I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit how I work through it. So self-awareness and recognition is key. Um, realizing that you actually are speaking negative things about yourself. For me, it's like, I'll give you an example on this cruise. Up in the workout room, talking to Crystal. Uh, I'm like, gosh, my arms look so fat. And, and I'm looking at her and I'm like, I just said that about myself. Like, I can't speak to myself that way. You can't speak to yourself that way. So how do we, how do we work on not doing that? You give yourself a compliment. You're like, these arms are pretty strong. Like, I can lift a lot of weight with these arms. They're big because they're strong. Like, talk positively about yourself. Find something good, even if it's not a physical attribute, Find something that, that you appreciate about your body. The fact that you're living and that, that your new lifestyle, you can sustain a longer life. You're going to live longer because you're keto. Whatever it may be, find something immediately positive to counteract that negative behavior. Then determine why. So for me, um, the why is just because it's, it's a mental disorder. Like, you know, it's gonna be with me forever. I don't feel like I will ever fully heal from it, um, but I feel like every single day that I recognize that I'm struggling with it, that I will get stronger. So it's just like with anything, with your diet, like, you know, if you decide to go off of it and then you realize you feel like crap, you know, making sure that you are growing with every decision that you make, every choice that you make. So, um, you know, like if you talk bad about yourself, then, becoming aware of it and then preventing it next time. I don't talk nearly as bad about myself as I used to, as often, but I do still do it. Um, I also find, and there are people who don't agree with the whole self-care practice um, or like the self-positivity or the positive talk. A lot of people are like, that's a bunch of frou-frou. But for me, self-care is 100% important for me to survive body dysmorphia. So taking care of myself, getting up at four o'clock in the morning and going to the gym, meditating, doing the things that makes my body feel good and makes me feel good about myself and setting my, my mental tone for the day. I find that if I do those things and I, I'm able to kind of just have a clean slate and be positive, setting, the, like setting that tone, then I find myself not talking as negatively about myself throughout the day. So um, this trip has been amazing thus far, but it's been very stressful for me. So um, the day that I spoke negatively about myself in the gym, it was a day that I was feeling very down. I didn't take my time in the morning to go work out. I didn't take my time to meditate in the morning. I didn't set that tone for having a positive day. So. We are all in, our, in control of our emotions, our thoughts, our, our actions, and how we treat ourselves. Um, we just have to be proactive at that. 
And that's kind of the same thing with the implement and prevention plan. So, um, you know, one thing that's a trigger for me that automatically makes me feel like I've failed or um, that I'm going backwards is the scale. I mean, how many people in this room feel like if you get on the scale and you see it go up, that you're fat or that you failed? Like, how many people? That you've gone backwards, that you have, like, you should just give up. Um, that is the biggest thing for me. And breaking the addiction to the scale was huge. It was, it sits in my bathroom floor, but I have, I have a very good um, ignorance of it. Like, I can ignore it. <laughs> my husband, he can use it. Um, but I just don't step on it. I maybe weigh like once every two weeks now. And that's only to just kind of keep a baseline to make sure that I'm keeping things in check because I am a macro tracker. I am a very like in tune person with what I'm eating. Um, but like knowing as a female around your cycle, you're gonna gain about five, five to 10 pounds, you know? But knowing that that's not fat loss, but in your head, if you're dealing with body dysmorphia, if you're dealing with a body image disorder and stepping on that scale and you see that five pound gain and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I've gained five pounds, I'm fat. Like, it's easy to do. So if this scale is a trigger for you, then put it away. Just be done with it. Um, that's why I always say taking measurements and taking pictures is really, really important. Uh, another way to implement like prevention of doing it is sticky notes. Does anybody put positive <coughs> affirmations on their mirrors? Anybody at all? <laughs> I knew Danny was going to raise his hand. <laughs> so it sounds silly. It, all this meditation and this self-care talk and all of this stuff sounds silly, but it works. Um, in my office, there are several little notes. There are several little inspirational quotes. There are several little just like lift me up things. And when I'm feeling down or when I feel like I'm struggling or I feel like I'm having one of my low moments or low days, I go read it. And it, it reminds me, like it sets, it sets me back. It brings me back to reality that you know, the body I'm in right now, though it may be up in weight, though I may not feel as confident in it as I am, that, um, you know, tomorrow's a new day and we're living this life. Like, you've got to just be as positive as possible. Remind yourself who you are, how strong you are, and how far you've come. Because it's like, I did that. I lost 100 pounds. I should be proud and I should be happy. Most days I am. But, you know, it's still really, really easy to look at yourself and, and especially as like a keto influencer and feel like you have to look a certain way. You have to constantly be a certain way um, and you feel that pressure to be perfect. So, you know, it's one of those things that it's, it's completely internal. You have to work on the internal um, to see any kind of healing from it. So, um, like I said, although I've changed my body composition, I still struggle with seeing the girl in the before picture. Um, there are days, and it, this is the mental disorder, there are days when I look in the mirror and I still see that girl on the left. I still see the, the wider hips, the, the body fat, I still see myself as that. And 
to prevent that, to, to get that out of my head, I have to either take another picture or, you know, look at myself in the mirror and, and really just focus on the areas that I'm not happy with and realize that they don't look like that anymore. I'm not there. Like, I'm, I'm not. Um, it's all about positive reinforcement, I feel like. So, um, you know, for people who struggle with body dysmorphia, my goal is to bring awareness to it. Um, it's not easy to talk about how uncomfortable we are with our body. Um, it's not. And I find that more people are willing to talk to me about it and be open about it and have meaningful conversations with me when I'm open about my own journey. And that's why I share. Um, so, you know, that's my hope is that by me sharing and being open and honest and real and raw about my struggle, um, that I can help someone talk through it. A lot of the practices that I put into play with my clients are like, you know, daily affirmations. They, they take a sheet, um, they write down what they're grateful for. I find that if we focus on gratefulness or being mindful, that we tend to just drown out the noise when it comes to like what our full image is. So, um, and what's crazy is that I remember the the time that it hit me that I started struggling with body dysmorphia. Like it, it's a very distinct part, but a lot of people don't realize it. Um, and just like, like you think it's all female, men struggle with it too. I know Robert has talked about it before when you do bodybuilding. Um, if you are someone who gets extremely lean and you see yourself as, as that lean and then you have to gain weight because that's not a, a body type that you can like sustain on a daily basis, you're having to see yourself gain a little bit of weight and that really messes with your head. So, you know, it's not just, you know, uh, people saying things about you like it was with me. It's not, you know, um, the neurological issues that people deal with. It's also like what we do to ourselves and it's the pressure we put on ourselves. So um, it's easy to develop and I find that most people struggle with it in some way, but it's really hard to talk about. So um, that's why I'm here, to, to bring it up, to talk about it, and uh, to bring awareness to it. So, does anyone have any questions? Yes. Coming from the, the, the issues with um, eating disorders mm -hmm. and bulimia and all of that, how did, you, how did you find or allow yourself into the keto restricted lifestyle that we so coming from a background of an eating disorder and being scared of food or being restrictive, severely restrictive of what I put in my mouth, she's basically asking how did I apply keto into not being another restrictive way of eating? Yeah. Okay. Um, for me, it was all of the things that I binged on were processed carbs. I will go ahead and say, and I say this all the time, and it's funny because I feel like I've told it a million times, but I'm the girl that would eat a dozen donuts, a bag of gummy worms, like um, three fast food meals a day and still not be satisfied. That's binge eating for me. That was legit. Or um, going to the drive-thru, throwing away the trash before I got home, and no one would ever know I ate it, you know? So, I mean, at least I'm not alone. Like, y'all have done it too. <laughs> Um, but all of the foods that, all of the foods that I binged on were processed <laughs> foods. I would never binge on um, ribeye, you know. I, I probably could now because I love it. Um, but like, 
I would never, I don't find foods that are not full of carbs comforting. Like, it's fuel for me. So, I don't feel restricted in a sense because I know what those, those foods do to my body. Um, so, I changed my mindset into what's going to make my body feel good versus what's going to make my mind and, and me happy right now and comfortable right now. So, for me, it's not restrictive in that sense. There are other ways of eating that I felt restricted on, such as like I've tried carnivore. I feel really restricted on carnivore. Um, I've got to have some variety in my diet. But cutting out the foods that I know don't fuel me properly is what gets me through not feeling restricted. How did I accept that fat was okay? That's taken a lot of training. I mean, to be totally honest with you, because we all, I mean, most of you probably grew up in the, in the, the low fat, you know, that's what we've been trained. But um, I started keto and within four weeks I had lost almost 20 pounds. And I say that, I, I'm always hesitant to say that because I don't ever want anyone to be like, oh, well, I'm gonna lose 20 pounds doing keto, like if I start. I don't ever want anybody to feel that way, um, but for me, it was between 75 and 80 percent fat. I was seeing the weight drop like that, and you know, then seeing my HDL, you know, go up and my LDL go down, and and my triglycerides go down, and then healing from prediabetes, all of these things, and then also being as physically fit as possible on a on a fat adapted diet. Um, it's just, I think seeing the numbers and seeing the consistency. It was something that I had to keep reminding myself that if I'm gonna believe it's working for me and I see that it's working for me, then I've got to, like, I have to believe it. it you can't be scared of the fat. It's, it's hard, but, but yeah. Anybody? Yes, ma'am. How will you teach your son or any future daughters or any children that you come in contact with not to get to the place we are with this body? Yeah. Yes. So she's asking, how would I implement trying to prevent my children from experiencing body dysmorphia? Um, so that is that is a huge goal of mine because I do. I have a mom that has suffered with it and uh, a grandma, and it's just generation to generation. It's the pressure of females and males to look a certain way. It's media. Um, and, and I used to say all the time that I didn't want to have a daughter because I didn't want to have to deal with it. But honestly, my son, he's right up there. You see the statistics. It's 2.5% to 2.2% of male to female. So he has just as much struggle with it, or chance of struggling with it, as, I, as another female. Um, so for me, I don't ever want him to hear me talk negatively about myself in front of him. Sorry. Um... I try really hard. To be as positive as I can in front of him. Because I want to set the example. So not only with body dysmorphia, but with eating, um, with anything, with teaching him that he can survive anything that he's put against or that um, that he can do anything that he sets his mind to. I just try to intentionally be as positive as I can and make sure that I don't speak negatively about myself and that I build him up and, and let him know that he can do absolutely anything and that he is 
a beautiful human. He is a handsome little boy and that he is enough for the people that love him. Um, and that he doesn't ever have to feel like he has to be more than what he is. So I think it's just about um, being as positive as we can. Um, that's one thing that I'm really passionate about and I'm hoping to get into is, is like these middle school church groups. Um, I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm proud to say it, but uh, church groups with these teenage females and males, um, you know, teaching them early on, catching it before it starts to turn into a problem that like I went through it and I don't want them to go through it and I want them to know that they're strong men and men and women they're going to be um, and that you know if we can catch it early on and and build them up to something that they can believe in that they don't have to feel like they have to pretend like something they're not so <laughs> Right, then. right. And mention what's going on. Absolutely. And so, look at that. Do you think, you know, what do you think about this? What is the true thoughts of what's going on here? Right, so talking to them about it, saying, what, why do you feel like this is the example of what you should look like? Why do you feel like this? And, and making sure that you know that it, it's not, that, that just because the media portrays, and it's funny how body image changes, from year to year because now we're into the fit females, the strong females, the, you know, but when I was growing up, when I had my issues, when I looked the way that I did but still felt the way that I did, it was very thin. It was the frail females, the be as thin as possible, fit into a size zero, like that's what it was. And so you you constantly see social media and, and the, the perfect image changing from year to year, it seems. Um, but realizing that we all are perfect, like no matter what, like you are perfect in your body. You have to be comfortable in your body and who you are. And that just because media is telling you something that you don't have to listen to it. Yes. I think the flip side of that coin is how the media portrays people struggling with obesity. Absolutely. Because there's a huge weight bias in this country. Yeah. And so as we talk to our children and our family and our friends, we need to confront that too. Yes. No, I totally agree. Um, and I feel like people always are chasing a number too. You're chasing being, uh, it's just like uh, the talk before this was, you know, chasing healthy is the goal. Like you want to be healthy. It's not about trying to reach a certain goal weight. Um, so, yeah. <coughs> Yes. You're trying to improve your physical fitness. Mm -hmm. You're trying to build muscles. When you're trying to do all these things, you have to look in the mirror. Yes. You have to gauge your progress and you have to be rationally, logically, you have to say, okay, I'm making progress towards right. my goal. How, what, what are some strategies you use to separate that, which can probably feel very similar mm -hmm. to the old judging that you did that was mm -hmm. obviously inappropriate and right. right. How are you able to now objectively judge 
your body because you're trying to be the best you can be. Right. How do you judge your journey towards that without it falling back into that old pathological judgment of yourself? So that's why I say I still struggle with it. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny because I, I feel there have been days where I feel like because I have found this passion to changing my body composition and to trying to look as physically best as I can that I've almost kind of jumped from one body dysmorphia to another. So um, it's just about knowing that like the time's going to pass anyways. So I'm going to continue lifting weights because I know it's healthy for me and I know that it's what I love. Um, and I'm going to continue to try to eat as properly as possible, not overeat, like not binge eat, work on those things. Um, but also know that um, body composition, growing muscle, changing the way it looks, it's going to take time. A lot of times people think that it happens overnight and I mean I've been lifting for almost three years and I've gained a substantial amount of muscle but I don't I don't see myself as someone who like oh she works out you know like it, but that's also body image talking so um, but just trying to realize that that you're gonna constantly be improving regardless so whether you're trying to lose weight or whether you're trying to gain muscle being positive in those those moments like looking in the mirror when you're lifting weights and be like yeah I got a good shoulder pump like you know like I look good um giving yourself compliments throughout the the time yeah um I just maybe lead into I I find it for myself and I think you do too that actually complimenting other people yes. on the things that are good about them actually makes you more confident in yourself yeah and I think that that's a really big so, um, Debbie, you talking earlier, I literally just told Crystal, I am so jealous of her arms. You look amazing. And so, <laughs> and so there's absolutely, and I don't mean to pick you out right now. You look amazing. So, um, it is, it is something that I found that I've grown as a person as well is I used to be very insecure with myself and the insecurities that I had I would project onto other people I'd be like oh well she she looks good or she like I'm jealous of her and I say jealous but I'm very proud of you for how far you've come you've you're amazing like and and saying saying compliments and meaning them and not just telling somebody your hair looks good just just because you want to be nice like really truly meaning like you are goals like you are you know, so um, being able to compliment someone and know that it's it's true and that you um, appreciate someone else and that you, maybe you want to look like them or maybe you want to have those things, but knowing in yourself like you're confident in who you are, but you can compliment someone and mean it. So I was just the part you're talking about with your child yeah. resonates with me a whole lot as other things do. Um, and then she asked the question about raising children who are not disordered when you've been so disordered. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, my daughter did grow up in several years seeing me extremely disordered. But one of the things, and, and <laughs> when you almost started crying, I was like, I can remember my kids saying, Mommy, I'm so tired of you saying bad stuff about yourself. Like, literally. And... Um, but for me, it's become about, the conversation is about what you are worth <coughs> inside versus outside. Like, literally who you are is not what you look like. Mm -hmm. um, and talking about the fact that she has a unique purpose and that she's created differently. If right. you're created differently, if your fingerprints 
are differently are different from every person on this entire earth. You must have a unique purpose that has nothing to do with what you look like. Mm -hmm. And if you take care of yourself and you feed your body good food, then you will become the the version of you that you're meant to be and therefore will fulfill the purpose that only you have. So I really, I take it from that standpoint mm -hmm. um, as a daughter who did see me disordered for many years. And uh, I think that's that's been part of the healing in our household is what is your worth? Right. And taking it away from physical appearance. Yeah, What it, what is your purpose in life? Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. Any other questions at all? Um, so, oh, yes. I just wanted to add to that. I think I believe everything always happens for a reason, and we all have you know, our passion, purpose, and our why, but now you can help other people. Yeah. Yes, you're helping yeah. other people. absolutely. Like, we're all sharing our stories. We all have a why. And I think, I always go, oh, why did that happen to me? Uh -huh. I think Tiki as a learning opportunity to share to help other people. Yeah. Like, you're influencing thousands of people, thousands around the world. So yeah. You're making a difference. There are the favorite pictures that I show people are the um, the perfectly posed photos and then the real. So like I'm I'm open about that and I want everyone to always know that um, just because you're scrolling Instagram and, and social media and you see these perfect bodies, everyone when we bend over we have a stomach. Everyone when we you know like we are all human, we are all real. So um, I am not my body dysmorphia. Um, I have it, and I live with it, and I deal with it, and, and you just have to know that you're in control of it. So, um, And if anyone wants to come and talk to me about it, I'm totally happy to, but I really appreciate you guys. You know,